passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to Post Wrestling. It is John Pollock, and over the weekend, we got the unfortunate news about the passing of Rick Bogner at the very young age of 49, and I wanted to bring on someone that uh, knew Rick very well. He was actually uh, the person that alerted me to Rick's passing, that being Paul Lazenby. Uh, Paul, it's always great when we get to speak, but this is obviously under some very unfortunate circumstances with uh, the passing of Rick, and I just wanted to chat a bit about him because... I think he's someone that a lot of people are familiar with him, but uh, you got to know him at a level that I think few did. And this one obviously has uh, definitely hit you this weekend. Yeah, it definitely does hit close to home. Um, you know, I, I met Rick very early in my own wrestling career, relatively early in his own. Um, he was, uh, I, I, I point out to people a lot that he's a guy that if he wasn't so good at stepping on his own genitalia, he would have made a much bigger impact in the business because uh, he, he was a big man in the big man era and he had a great look. And uh, he was really the first one to, uh, out of our whole crop of Calgary talent, you know, the, the group that I was kind of rubbing shoulders with in Calgary at the time who were starting out were guys like Dr. Luther and Lance Storm and Chris Jericho and Mike Lazansky. And Rick was the first one out of that pack to make it in Japan and the first one out of that pack to get signed with WWE. So he was definitely a guy that, uh, you know, all the pieces were in place and, you know, not, not everybody ascends as high as they might in the business, but he definitely made his mark. Do you remember your first memory of meeting Rick and uh, kind of the guy he was, your, your initial impression of him? Yeah, it was, um, I was still in Hart Brothers Wrestling Camp at the time. I think I, I was in the sixth or seventh week of training, and Rick came in just to get in some ring time. And, uh, you know, he was he had a great look back then. He was about 6'6", six, six, I think, and uh, about 290, lean. And a uh, big jacked-up dude. You know, he had his hair shaved down on the side to white walls and a big mullet, uh, a mullet that was half a mohawk. Uh, really, really had everything that a, a pro wrestler would want, appearance-wise. And... um like I said, he was he was the guy in Calgary. He was the most successful out of all the independent wrestlers in Calgary, uh, out of that generation of them. So I expected that I wasn't even going to get a second look. I mean, I'm just one of the students. And he was really nice to me and really gracious to me without having any reason to be. You know, he, he had no reason to believe I was even going to last to the end of training camp. But, um, you know, he showed me a few things in the ring. And, and uh, you know, I, I just I, – I, always really had a soft spot for Rick because he never put on airs. You know, he was friendly with everybody and he never acted like he was too good for the room. Was that, was that a rarity among guys at that, especially at that era where you're breaking in and there are so few of those, those big positions and the, the need to help guys. I mean, it really is a, a very selfless act to be helping those underneath you at that time when everyone's clawing for those limited spots. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I was a threat to Rick at the time. I don't I don't know if it would have been more competitive if, say, I had been actively working. But uh, 
I like to think that it wouldn't have been. And uh, I, I suspect that it wouldn't have been because Rick wasn't that kind of guy. Uh, I never heard of him putting a knife in anybody's back or anything like that. He was just he was just a nice dude. I mean, he wasn't the most technically proficient wrestler, but he knew a lot more than me at the time. And uh, he shared some of that with me. So, um, yeah, there, there was a lot of uh, competitiveness and a lot of uh, big brothering of the new generation. Um, you know, even people who were crappy workers, but they'd been in the business for a while, would uh, try to intimidate the younger talent or, you know, treat them like a lower class. And that was never Rick, not even for a second. Uh, so once he got over to Japan in in FMW, uh, was was he routinely uh, coming back? Was he still uh, working dates back back in Calgary, or was he largely exclusive at that point, just doing his tours over there? I believe he was doing the odd date in Calgary, but uh, you know FMW. As soon as they saw him, uh, they snapped him up and they started bringing him over regularly. So uh, he and uh, if I recall correctly, when I first got there, uh, he and uh, Dan Crawford, aka Phil Afon, were were the two guys in town who were just always out of town and always working overseas. Uh, so I, I don't recall. Um, I, I did work a match with, or I did work on the same show with Rick and I believe it was 1995. Um, I, IWA, which used to be WSWA, Tony Candelo's promotion in Winnipeg had a massive TV taping, uh, where they brought in a whole bunch of big names, like Ultimo Dragon, Storm Jericho, um, uh, I got to work Steve Lombardi on that show. Johnny Smith was there, Gamma Singh. And uh, Rick worked on that show. And uh, I, I, actually, that's it's one of my favorite Rick memories because uh, it it also um, involves Bad News Brown or Bad News Allen, depending on which generation I was mm-hmm. in Washington. And News, uh, I, this is the first time I recall him ever doing this, wore his full judo gi to the ring. And, uh, you know, as a lot of people know, Bad News was a, a legitimate Olympic bronze medalist in judo. I think he should have been in the gold medal yes. final and got ripped off, but uh, he had that bronze medal. And and even though he was past his prime, he was, you know, he was a great judo guy that uh, he, could, he could still throw people around. So he worked Rick, and he hit Rick with an underarm sail, Inagi throw, uh, basically just a shoulder throw. And uh, I have never seen a big man thrown that fast or hit that, <laughs> that hard. And uh, of course, news put him down flat. He put him down in the softest, uh, in the in the sweet spot, quote unquote, in the middle of the ring, which still hurts, but it doesn't injure you. And uh, yeah, everybody in the back just popped huge because we had never seen anything like it before. Well, when it came to when you mentioned kind of the guy like stepping on himself, do you think that it was just you know he just made some unwise choices, whether they be uh, political ones or just. Uh, Issues that prevent a guy from getting to the next gear of their career, which it seemed like that was something that he did struggle with, just being able to take this, as you mentioned, like natural talent and be able to parlay that to the next level. Yeah, I think um, I think Rick's pro wrestling career was kind of like my military career. I I, uh, I didn't last all the way through infantry training when I, I was in uh, was uh, training for the Canadian Armed Forces. And in my case, it was because I was really good at all the uh, running around and shooting and learning how to kill people and all, all the active stuff. But I can't pause my boots to save my life. I can't iron my shirt to save my life. You know, I was really bad at all the kit and quarter stuff with Rick. Uh, my impression was always that, you know, he, he had it in the ring uh, enough that combined with his looks, you could really do something with him. But there's a lot more to wrestling than that. You know, there's a lot of politicking. There's a lot of, you know, making sure you're on time. Um, not missing curfews and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you know, from what I heard, uh, you know, Rick wasn't the best at that side of the business and, and it kind of came back to bite him.
it seemed that like for those that maybe didn't see a lot of his of, of his work in FMW that you know if you were to look at someone for him to maybe eventually in time grow into you look at his his uh, teaming with the the gladiator Mike Awesome and it seems like there was kind of a prototype for him to eventually graduate to with a similar look, similar build, and to be able to do things that, you know, in, in 1996, not a lot of people that size were able to pull off with regularity. Yeah, and in fact, you know, FM, his FMW career started, I think, in 91. Uh, so he was really, he and Mike were, uh, Mike Awesome were really ahead of the curve with regards to a lot of the things they were doing as big men, especially Awesome. But uh, but Rick was right there as a a dude who could carry 290 really well, had a, had a really good, big, scary, intimidating look, and was agile as hell for a guy that size. Uh, he had some limited martial arts training that really paid off in the in the ring as well. So he could he could move around. He could get himself made to be. And, and so um, as a tag team, those guys, uh, I think, if that were an internet era, which, of course, it wasn't, uh, they would have been much better known uh, later on because – I think that uh, they they were really cutting edge, and like I said, you know, Onita's no dummy. Uh, the the patriarch and the head of FMW is no dummy. And as soon as he saw Rick, he did the same thing as when he saw Mike Austin. He's like, okay, I'm locking this guy down because he's something special. And it really was like baptism by fire for this guy because uh, I think people, you know, I, I think a lot of people with this news coming, one of the, you know, stunning realizations was just how young he was and starting out, he was, he was 19 in 88. And as you mentioned, getting to FMW in 91, the guy's probably around 22 at this point, mm-hmm. uh, getting over there to FMW in a pushed position. I mean, that's, you know, very, very early on that he is getting a lot on his shoulders at a, at a young age in his career. Yeah. And it also, it, Again, this speaks to Rick's character because I was having a, a conversation with him. Once. I had just turned 24 and we were talking. He was just matter of factly, not bragging, but I was just asking him you know, what he'd been doing in Japan lately. And he's just running down all these big shows like stadium shows and all this stuff. And OK, now I'm booked for this tour. and I got to go back on this. And uh, I said, dude, how old are you? And he said 22. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude, I'm 24 and I haven't even scratched the surface yet. And he stopped me and he went, look, dude, every, like I got lucky and I was right place, right time. He said, you, you, you can get there. Just keep working at it. So his immediate reaction wasn't to uh, big himself up when I, when I was pointing out how much more successful he was than me at two years younger. It was to uh, keep me from being too hard on myself. Yeah. It, and you mentioned, uh, you know, being hard on himself, like we certainly heard in, you know, years later when he would, you know, speak about the fact he did not want to be remembered for the WWF run in the Razor Ramon character. And I always found that kind of, it, it was unfortunate because I really hope he didn't take it to heart that it was somehow this indictment of himself as opposed to, this was a character that I don't care who was put into that role. This was a dead end character. And it was to me not indicative of Rick Bogner, the performer. It was just, a bad idea that unfortunately a lot of people that's going to be their, their first memory of Rick Bogner. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a cautionary tale for any, any uh, wrestler who might look at that situation. Uh, and it's an example of how to act and, and maybe how not to deal with the situation when you get handed something that is uh, when you, I'm sorry, can I say the S word on this show? Anything. Okay, you like I, sometimes in wrestling, you have to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. You know, the, they give you a, a bad gimmick or a bad angle, and you just make the most of it. If if you're backed into a corner and you can't talk your way out of it, then you, you make the most of, of what they're giving you. Dusty Rhodes did it with the polka dots gimmick in, the, in WWE, and uh, 
in Rick's case, you know, his tag team partner was uh, the the uh, imposter Diesel, who was also Isaac Yankum, the uh, dentist, like horrible gimmicks, goes on to become Kane. It was Glenn Jacobs. And I, I don't know Glenn, but I would imagine he was far from happy while soldiering through those gimmicks. But he obviously didn't let it mentally break him. And he did the best he could with those gimmicks. And at the same time, thinking, okay, how do I how do I make something work here? You know, Steve Austin told me the same thing about the Ringmaster gimmick. He said, I, I knew that that wasn't going to be the gimmick that brought me to the next level. So I had to start thinking, okay, how do I work myself up out of the Ringmaster into something that's going to catch fire? And uh, in Rick's case, unfortunately, uh, you know, it seems to have gotten in his head, and I, and I think frustration probably uh, had a big, big. Uh, was a big factor in uh, why he didn't ascend as high as he might have otherwise done. Uh, as he got like later in, into his career, of course, after the WWF stint, uh, he did go to New Japan and then uh, suffered a really bad neck injury. And by 2000, he was pretty much uh, retired at that point. Uh, had, had you guys drifted away? Did you have uh, much contact with him uh, post uh, wrestling career? No, not really. I mean, we, we hung out and went out drinking together a couple of times, um, while I was living, while we were both living in Calgary. And, uh, we actually both bounced at the Fox and Firkin Tavern, Tavern on Electric Avenue, which I don't, I don't know if it's there anymore, but, um, I, I used to see him a lot. And then he was just one of those people that kind of passed through your life. And, uh, I would, in talking with guys like Storm and Jericho and Dr. Luther, you know, Rick's name would come up sometimes or like Steve Rivers. He's another one of our, our crop. And he, he would mention that he bumped into uh, Titan and it was always good to hear about what he was up to. And, uh, but at the same time, uh, I, I never had direct contact with him. Uh, it's probably been over 20 years since the last time we spoke directly. Wow. Um, just before we wrap up, I mean, is there anything maybe that you got to experience on a personal basis with him that maybe, uh, you'd just like to alert people that are, you know, th- especially coming out of this weekend, reading about him, maybe going back to watch some matches, some things about uh, Rick Bogner that maybe the average viewer may not be aware of. Uh, just basically, I, I think you should really view is Rick is best viewed with his complete career looked at and, and looked at in context. So, as I said before, he was a guy who was, you know, it, hot on the heels of the Road Warriors when when that look and that image and that aura was still very fresh and still very hot you know a a big jacked up muscular guy with face paint who's stomping a mud hole in people uh that was uh and and being that agile as well and uh, just the fact that he really did take off he's like dr luther in that respect where his north american success didn't really reflect the magnitude of what he did in japan fmw was filling stadiums and both he and dr luther took off like a rocket right upon their first appearance with FMW and end up doing these huge shows right away. So I think that uh, uh, Rick deserves credit for uh, the success that he attained very early in his career. And, and, um, and so, yeah, the, the Razor Ramon thing didn't work out for him, but uh, I think that in no way, shape or form can you view Rick as having been a failure in the business. Yeah, it, when you posted the news and you attached that photo and you see him with the face paint on, with the hair and the jacked up look, like you just wonder, had it been five years earlier, like we're talking, you know, mid 80s when just just looking at the, at this guy that I think that would grab a lot of promoters attention at, at that point, uh, not even seeing him in the ring and seeing uh, what, what he could do where the potential was there, even if it was, you know, kind of raw around the edges. Yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was Rob Naylor um, on Twitter, uh, put a GIF up or GIF, I, I never know how to pronounce that, 
uh, of Awesome and Titan just walk into the ring. And it's it's very reminiscent of uh, the vibe you get when you watch Animal and Hawk walk into the ring. Like the, These are big, scary individuals who are going to legitimately hurt somebody. You know, th- Those guys really had something. You know, R- Rick had the it factor for a while, and uh, that's something that can't be duplicated. Yeah. And it seemed like Paul Heyman was one of those guys that uh, he saw this as this diamond in the rough, potentially. Definitely. I, I think, um, you know, falling under the right tutelage, you know, it, the more I hear about the Road Warriors, the more I think that they were very, very lucky to have a relationship with uh, Paul Ellering. You know, it, it sounds to me from the way they talk and the way Paul talks that, that he really was a legitimate guiding force in their career. And, you know, they might not have ended up, climbing to the heights that they climbed to without that guidance. And I think with that kind of guiding influence through the bulk of his career, I think Rick could have done much better with, with somebody else handling certain situations for him. Uh, well, Paul, I really appreciate you uh, taking some time this evening uh, to chat. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get you on here to share some of your memories uh, of him and uh, a- anything you want to just uh, alert our listeners that you have. I know you always have a very, very busy schedule. So this is my chance to, to get caught up on all my Paul Lazer <laughs> news as well. Yeah. Well, I, I just finished uh, working on a joint Netflix WWE studios production called the main event. Uh, it's a kid's movie, uh, very, very heavily wrestling related. So I had a great time on that. Uh, working shoulder to shoulder with Ace Steel and um, uh, helping to concept the uh, the scenes in the movie. And uh, I have a, a role in the movie as well. And I, I wore about four or five hats on that show. It was, it was fantastic. And, and meeting some of the uh, WWE talent that got sent up here to work on it. So keep your eyes out for that, the main event. And since then, I've just kind of been ping-ponging around, getting my ass kicked by every uh, CW Network superhero in Vancouver. So... Uh, you will uh, see me in upcoming episodes of Arrow and uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, also, man, Batwoman. Tell, tell me about Riverdale, Paul. Tell me I'm going to see you on the forthcoming season. Of I'm Riverdale. waiting for them to bring Marcel back. You know, I've been I've done two episodes oh. as the insidious Marcel, and and he's he's not dead. He's still he's still hanging in. So, uh, you know, he, I'm hoping that uh, they find a reason to write him back into the series because I loved working on Riverdale. But uh, the the most recent one was Supergirl, and uh, had a had a fantastic time on that one too. So, yeah, it's just been uh, oh yes, and also. Um, my uh, the comedy series that uh, I star in, uh, pro wrestling related comedy series. Uh, think about mixing a low level wrestling organization with The Office, and you'll get an idea of what that's like. Paper Champions has now dropped on Amazon Prime in sixty three countries. Um, we're we're getting great response from it, so definitely check that out. Even if you're not a wrestling fan, because uh, the writers Matt Ewart and Mike Howard did a spectacular job of making this a comedy show about wrestling as opposed to a wrestling show where they shoehorn the comedy. And I, I, I read the screenplay once and I had to be involved. So uh, check it out. Paper champions on Amazon prime. Well, you got a, a ton of stuff on the go and uh, yeah, we will be uh, following along with uh, all of that stuff, including uh paper champions and the main event, which uh, yeah, has got a lot of attention going into it. So Paul, thank you again for uh, coming on to chat about Rick. I definitely want to speak with someone that uh, got to know him over the years and uh, very sorry about the loss. It was unfortunate news when it came down this week. Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. I, I really appreciate getting a little bit of time to uh, just, just call attention to it because Rick, Rick was a good guy and definitely, uh, you know, he was a special talent. All right, that'll wrap things up. Uh, Thank you again to Paul Lazenby, and we'll be back uh, later on this week, so keep it tuned at postwrestling.com.